Welcome back, friends. Welcome back to The Corbett Report. I'm your host, James Corbett of CorbettReport.com. It is July of 2023, and you are tuned into Solutions Watch. Say, do you find yourself lamenting the low-quality, information-poor rhetoric that passes for internet discourse these days? Do you wish there was a way to engage in meaningful, data-driven, evidence-based discussion online? Well, now there is. That's right, folks. For the low, low price of zero dollars and zero cents, you too can reap the benefits of citing your sources. Wow. All right. This should not be a new concept to literally anyone in the audience, if for no other reason than that I have expounded on this over and over and over and over throughout the past decade and a half of my work. And in fact, it often comes up when people are interviewing me about my work. What is open source intelligence news? Um, but for the purposes of today's discussion, I think it is important to really flesh this out because there are a number of important aspects to citing sources that we need to take into account when engaging in that task. Also, some potential pitfalls or traps or wrong ways of thinking about this that people can fall into. And I think they all need to be put on the table and addressed in greater detail. But as I say, the general concept of citing sources should not be incredibly revelatory to anyone in the audience. And this doesn't just apply to creators in the independent media space like myself, although it certainly does apply to in, in that particular context. And when you are listening to a podcast, watching a video, reading an article online, you should be actively thinking about and conscious of the fact when someone makes a particular claim, what is their source for that claim? How do they know that thing? Can I independently verify it? Of course, that is important. But it's not just that. As I say, I think anyone, literally anyone who is engaged in any kind of discussion, any kind of back and forth on any issue of real importance, any really important subject matter should at the very least be able to cite their sources, to know how to cite sources, what sources to cite, in what context, in what way, and for what reasons, so that they can engage in a deeper level of conversation than simply, trust me, bro. As I say, I've talked about this many, many times before, so it shouldn't be new to literally anyone, but as a representative example of me expounding on this subject and why it is so central to the work that I do, let's flash back to 2013 when I delivered a lecture on open source journalism to the FOSSA conference in France. I think taking our cue from the open source software paradigm, obviously open source journalism is journalism that lets you look under the hood. It lets you see the source code of the journalism. And in the case of journalism, what is the source code? It's data. Um, it could be statements that are uh, made by officials. It could be laws that are being passed. It could be what have you, whatever it is, video that's, uh, that's been made available. Someone tweets out a a picture of something, that might be part of the data. Um, but journalism that lets you see all of that underlying data that was used to compile the report, the, the report is obviously, that's a contributory factor to what we can think of as open source journalism. And the other part of this, of course, the permissive licenses that are, uh, that are used in a lot of online endeavors these days can also, of course, be applied to, I think, open source journalism. Journalism that users can remix, reuse, republish, and repurpose is, I think, an important part of what is the open source journalism revolution. So it's at least two-pronged. I'm sure there are many more prongs that we could think about, but let's use this as a first approximation. And, uh, and so let's look at an example of what is not 
open source journalism. Even though it's online, it's online journalism. This is the New York Times website, nytimes.com. And this was a randomly selected article from 1999. Uh, Congress passes wide-ranging bill-easing bank laws. Uh, Congress approved landmark legislation today that opens the door for new era on Wall Street in which commercial banks, securities houses, and insurers will find it easier and cheaper to enter one another's businesses. The measure, considered by many the most important banking legislation in 66 years, was approved in the Senate by a vote of 90 to 8 and in the House tonight by 362 to 57. The bill will now be sent to the president, who is expected to sign it, Aide said. It would become one of the most significant achievements this year by the White House and the Republicans leading the 106th Congress. Today, Congress voted to update the rules that have governed financial services since the Great Depression and replace them with a system for the 21st century, Treasury Secretary Lawrence H. Summers said. <laughs> uh, this historic legislation will better enable American companies to compete in the new economy. The decision to repeal the Glass-Steagall Act of 1933 provoked dire warnings from a handful of dissenters that the deregulation of Wall Street would someday wreak havoc on the nation's financial system. <laughs> the original idea behind Glass-Steagall was that separation between bankers and brokers would reduce the potential conflicts of interests that were thought to have contributed to the speculative stock frenzy before the Depression. All right, again, this was a pretty randomly chosen article from the New York Times Archives nytimes.com, 1999. Do you notice anything about this article, stylistically? Do you notice any hyperlink anywhere in that text, anywhere, to anything? Hint, the answer is no. No, you don't. Because they don't. They don't link to anything. Nothing. Nothing whatsoever. Uh, and think of all of the opportunities for linking to information that are embedded in this article when you look at it. Uh, Congress approved landmark legislation today. Show us the legislation. It's available online. Link to it so we can actually go read it for ourselves if we want. Um, there's a statement from Lawrence H. Summers. I bet you that's on some government website somewhere or there's a recording of it on some, some website somewhere. Why not link us to that? It talks about the Great Depression. Uh, the Great Depression, wow. The New York Times was publishing during the Great Depression. Wouldn't that be an incredible thing if they, I don't know, curated some of their articles from the Great Depression, created a link so that you can go and find out more and browse through the archives? Even if you want to stay on NewYorkTimes.com, there are obviously ways that they could do that and they could open up their journalism just a little bit so that you can actually go and see some of the underlying data of what they're talking about. <sighs> but... Never feared. New York Times is cutting-edge journalism, and they, they, they're on board with this online news thing. This is New York Times 2013, a randomly selected article from just the other day. This is an article about Obama picking a, a new uh, replacement judge for U.S. Uh, District Court, Court of, a Circuit of Circuit Court, Court of Appeals judge or something. Nothing of any particular relevance. But look at this. Look at this block of text that's embedded halfway through the uh, article. Do you see it? Do you see it? I'll highlight it for you. Oh, they've learned how to hyperlink. Whoa! The New York Times has hyperlinked in one of their articles. It's unbelievable. Mr. Obama issued a statement saying blah, 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 and they link to the statement on whitehouse.gov. Oh, well, my work is done. I think I'm just going to stop my website and just give it up to the New York Times. So this is the, uh, the extent of how far New York Times has come in the last couple of decades. And I, I don't know, maybe I'm crazy. I think we could do a little bit better than this. 
Well, again, not to toot my own horn, but obviously the Corbett Report is my website. It's been in circulation on, online since 2007. Tagline is Open Source Intelligence News. It's been that tagline since the foundation of the website in the About section of CorbettReport.com. I link to a Washington Times article from 2006 that notes that the CIA has an Open Source Intelligence Office, OSINT, which obviously Tom was talking about earlier today, and the, uh, the, the director of that OSINT center was talking about how these days most of the important information that the CIA gets is not from Humint, it's not from James Bond's, you know, smuggling across the border and spying on people. It's not from SIGINT, it's not from the fact that they're listening to literally everything you say, do, and think, probably. Um, it's from open source intelligence, what they find online, what they find in books, TV, newspapers, and online and more and more significantly online. And I thought, hey, if it's good enough for the CIA, it's probably good enough for independent journalism. So open source intelligence news, that's where that comes from. And here's just an example. This is kind of the bread and butter of my website. It's my podcast, um, now up to 280 something or other episodes. This is an example of a recent episode. Uh, it's a half hour to one hour audio slash video documentary type exploration of a given subject. In this case, it was Rockefeller Medicine exploring the Rockefeller Foundation's role in creating our modern concept of medicine. And uh, you see the text, kind of the description and the link to the YouTube version for people who are still stuck on Google. And... There you go. Underneath every single episode of my podcast, there's a documentation list. Every time I mention a document, every time I play a video or play a recording or what have you, I'll link to that in the show notes with the time index. So you hear it on the podcast, you go look at the time, you go look it up in the show notes. There it is. You can go read it for yourself. Because my entire premise is that I'm not really doing anything other than presenting my opinion that's been gleaned from this and this and this and this and this source. Go look it up for yourself and come to your own opinion. But if you value the work that I'm doing, then yeah, continue to listen. All right, so far, so straightforward. As I say, this concept will not need a great deal of elaboration for anyone, but the details of how and when and why this is done are important because there are better and worse ways of citing sources. There are also, as I say, pitfalls that we can fall into with the what's your source question that I think we'll come to in a bit. But let's go through this again for everyone. Some people out there may never have heard. I barely ever talk about it, but I do have a website. It's called CorbettReport.com. And I would suggest you go there maybe once or twice if you are interested in my material, because that is where I will always be. <laughs> anyway, um, if you have been there recently, you probably know how this works. But let's just take a look at, for example, my most recent podcast on Further Down the David Kelly Rabbit Hole, which if you haven't seen or heard yet, I suggest you do so. I think there's a lot of important information in this particular episode. And as always, when I make a particular claim or cite a particular article, you better believe I will have it by time reference and the title. Um, at least for the podcast episodes, I do the time reference. Generally, in an interview or what have you, we'll just have a, a chronological, as it were, list of references and citations. But anyway, it if I talk about it and it's of importance, it should be in here. For example, when I'm talking about David Kelly's last emails and his email with Judy, Judy Miller, dark actors playing games, oh yeah, okay, so you click on that link and you will get the free library link um, document of the Sunday Mail 2003 article, dark actors playing games, talking talking about and quoting that final, those final um, emails and what they contained. And you can go and verify, was I quoting it correctly, accurately, in context, etc. So you can verify that for yourself. Or when I'm talking about the uh, the Anthrax War documentary, 
well, you can go and here's the link to the actual documentary. You can go watch it for yourself. Or uh, at the very end, when I'm talking about the dark actor's Life and Death of David Kelly by Robert Lewis, and I talk about the interesting sharp turn that that book takes at the end, well, don't take my word for it. Go read it for yourself. You can literally get the link here to the archive.org version of this book, and you can go and flip through the pages and read every single page of this book for yourself. So it is available 100% for free for you that way. Um, so again, if I talk about it, I, I do my level best to link to it. And I think it is important. Um, sometimes, I mean, I know there's going to be a million things that are cited in every particular podcast and every editorial. Sometimes far too much for the average person to go through for themselves. I'm not expecting that every person is going to look through every source of every show note in every episode that I ever do. That might be a form of madness. But certainly when something catches your ear, piques your interest, there's something you want to know more about, there's something you want to verify for yourself, well then, go and check for it. So, for example, in my recent Descent into Madness editorial series, which, again, if you didn't catch, I suggest you go and browse through them. They, I think there's some a lot of important information in this series. And, for example, in this one on the weaponization of psychology, if you scroll down, you'll... Existing users log in? Is this a paywall? I knew you were a shill, Corbett. I hated you from the moment I laid eyes on... Oh, wait. Click here to access the editorial for free. Okay, and then when you do, you'll get the free version of the editorial because my life's work is available for free. You're welcome. Descent into Madness, the Weaponization of Psychology. For example, um, that 1983 Dr. Walter Reich article on the world of Soviet psychiatry, I I would hope you, if you're interested, give it a read. There's a lot of information in this six thousand word article that I link up. Of course, the archive version, because I'm not going to link you to New York Times directly if I can help it. Um, but you can read through the entire 6,000 word essay for yourself and discover a, a lot of really interesting information that I could only do my best to summarize and encapsulate in the couple of paragraphs in which I'm dealing with it here in this editorial. And likewise, with the dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens of other things that I'm linking to. Did you see, did you read about the tranquilizing chair that uh, Benjamin Rush was coming up with? And uh, people like that uh, back at the founding of American psychiatry and information about the DSM and other such things. Especially, um, I, I bet you a lot of people did not click on this particular link, the reestablishment of peacetime psychiatry by George Brock Chisholm. Who was he? Oh yeah, the man who would go on to serve as the first director general of the World Health Organization. But I, I would highly suggest, if you're interested, check this one out. Um, it's insane. And there's no amount of me saying it's insane that we can accurately capture the the essence of the insanity going on here. This We need a cadre of millions of psychiatrists to go out and break the conditioning of the public that's been conditioned to believe in this morality and good and evil. No, we need to break that mindset in the public and live in peace and harmony thereafter, <laughs> says George Brock Chisholm. Again, read it for yourself. It's crazy. But Here's the actual document from 1946, and you can actually, again, go and read this for yourself, again, on archive.org in this case. But um, there's there's no dearth of information in any of the work that I'm doing of interesting uh, sources to go through. Now, let's take a look at the flip side of this, because unfortunately, you may have noticed, not, not everyone always cites their sources. So let's just take a random example of not citing sources. I don't know, uh, the uh, conspiracy subreddit? <laughs> yeah, I don't spend my time here at this point, because uh, I don't know if they've got an actual rule against actually linking to articles and information, but whatever it is, the only thing people ever do here is post screenshots of 
tweets and or headlines and <laughs> and literally this is a screenshot you can't click on anything you can't actually go and read this article that people are presumably talking about in this co- comment thread they're just linking to the tweet and you you can't click on that link so if you want to find it you'll have to well take that take that uh that headline and type it in and then hopefully you can find the article that they're talking about but sometimes they even clip out the headline so you can't you it's really a guessing game of how to search for it. It's crazy. Um, and I think it is important because time after time after time, I have seen this dozens and dozens and dozens of times on the conspiracy subreddit and elsewhere where people are talking about a screenshot of a headline of an article and you'll have hundreds of people commenting back and forth and talking about that screenshot of the headline and what it implies and blah, blah, blah. And you might have one person down at the bottom of the thread going, did anyone actually read the article? Because it's exactly the opposite of what everyone is assuming here (laughs) or something along those lines. It happens more often than you might believe if you've never thought about it. But let's look at a specific example. So here's a, a conspiracy subreddit post from the past week. The Rothschilds took over the British economy and planet Earth in 1815, after the Battle of Waterloo, when they used their advanced courier system to get early intel and buy up the entire London Stock Exchange for pennies. In 1913, they took over the USA by creating the Fed. Now, we are inflation slaves. Woo, okay, that's quite the treatise. And I can think of a lot of different pieces, uh, claims that in this, just in these few sentences that might need citations to flesh them out in more detail. (laughs) And hopefully you picked up on that too. For example, of course, astute observers of the Media Matrix series will recall that I opened part two of that series with a treatment of that Battle of Waterloo Rothschild story and where it comes from and what we know about it and what maybe we don't know about it. But if you want even more on that particular topic, I did talk about it in my Mass Media A History online course. And I talked about where that story comes from, where what the sources are, what we can definitively say about it, what is speculation, etc. So there's a lot to get into even in that first part of that first sentence, let alone then, okay, so in 1913, they, the Rothschilds, took over the USA by creating the Fed. All right, okay, well, some bold claims, but luckily there are sources provided here in the form of screenshot. (laughs) Of course, it's going to be an image. But anyway, at least this person was not only kind enough to flesh out the claim that they're they're talking about here, but to have a big blue arrow pointing to source. So you can't miss it. This this is the source, guys. So the claim that is being um, backed up with this particular source, the Rothschilds created the unconstitutional Federal Reserve private money printing institution for the elite slash bankers to buy up all the assets and steal all the plebs' money via inflation. <gasps> wow, quite a claim. And what is the source for this? Well, uh, let's follow this giant blue arrow to the CIA. The CIA, what? I didn't know the CIA admitted that the Rothschilds created the Fed. Wow. Now, there's a lot to think about with regards to this and the game that can be played with citation and sources and linking to what source do you link to? There's a lot to think about with regards to this because generally speaking, if you're in conspiracy realist spaces online or elsewhere and you're trying to prove your point, you generally wouldn't link to the CIA, right? Well, it's the CIA. Why would you be linking to... Oh, I get it. It is, of course, it's a it's a deft move here because it's an admission against interest. Well, the CIA, of course, you they they of course they know all the secrets 
And they wouldn't want the public to know too much about the Rothschilds creating the Federal Reserve. So if the CIA is saying it, it's, well, there you go. Even the CIA is admitting this. It's so out in the open that even the CIA is publicly admitting this, right? At least that's the implication of this. But let's drill down on the details here because there might be <laughs> there might be more going on with this citation than you might think at first glance. Secrets of the Federal Reserve, the London Connection, which must be some kind of article on CIA.gov. Unfortunately, it's not linked, but so you'll just have to trust me, bro. But anyway, Secrets of the Federal Reserve, the, the London Connection by E. Mullins. Well, I guess E. Mullins must just be some CIA agent, right? Who wrote some sort of report on the history of the Federal Reserve for the CIA. That's why it's on CIA.gov. That's why he's citing CIA.gov here, right? <laughs> All right. Well, I'm sure a lot of the people in the audience already know where this is going. Secrets of the Federal Reserve by E. Mullins? You mean Eustace Mullins? Yeah, I've heard of that, of course. And of uh, CIA? Well, at least publicly, officially, Eustace Mullins was definitely not CIA, right? He was a conspiracy realist, wasn't he? So what's going on here? Well, what is going on here? Well, specifically with regards to the Rothschilds creating the Federal Reserve and the way that this particular citation from this particular book is being used with the big handy red arrow pointing to Rothschild representatives in this sentence. So, you know, there you go. It's the Rothschilds that did it. And even the CIA is admitting it. There's so much more to talk about and interrogate with that claim and where it comes from and what it's saying and what it's not saying and how it's sourced, etc., etc. I could do an entire episode on that. And hey, if you're up for it, ask, leave the question in the in the comment section, and maybe I'll do a questions for Corbett on this because it's a fascinating <laughs> rabbit hole in and of itself. Just this one citation and where it's pointing to. But anyway, yeah, let's let's interrogate this a little more. Secrets of the Federal Reserve: The London Connection on CIA.gov. Well, again, there's no link here because it's a screenshot. But I've I've done the work. I I can type in CIA.gov and do some searching, and hey, here it is. Yes, and here it is. CIA.gov absolutely really does have Secrets of the Federal Reserve, the London Connection by Eustace Mullins. And so you can go and check and make sure that that quote that's being used here is actually in here, and it is. Although, again, I have so much more to say about that particular quotation and what it means and what it doesn't mean, but anyway. So it's on CIA.gov, but but why? I mean, Eustace Mullins wasn't working for the CIA, at least not openly, right? So what why is this on CIA.gov? Well, let's let's interrogate this this URL a little bit more because you'll note of course again, there's no not even the URL, it's just CIA.gov. But of course the actual URL here, CIA.gov/library/habitabadcompound/48/blah/blah/blah. Hmm, habitabad compound. Where have I heard that before? It sounds sounds familiar. I I, I kind of dozed off during James's five and a half hour Al Qaeda documentary, so I, I some of the details slipped my mind. But let's just let's just play a game. Let's just uh, delete the end of that and let's see what comes up if we just look at the Ab Abbottabad compound link here on CI.com. November 2017 release of Abbottabad compound material in an effort to further engage public understanding of Al Qaeda, the Central Intelligence Agency on November, uh, November 2017, released additional materials recovered in the 2nd of May 2011 raid on Osama bin Laden's compound in Abbottabad, Pakistan. Oh yeah, at Abbottabad. <laughs> this is literally, so this is the section of the CIA website where they have published all of the material that was in Osama bin Laden's, quote unquote, Osama bin Laden's bookshelf. Trust us guys, trust us bros. We totally, you saw that scene in Zero Dark Thirty where we snatched a bunch of books and stuff off the shelf and files and computer files. 
well, this is it, man. And we're publishing it here for you. So yeah, audio, documents, images, video, devices are all there on CIA.gov. And you can totally trust them that this really came from Osama bin Laden. Anyway, apparently Osama bin Laden was reading Eustace Mullins on the secrets of the Federal Reserve, right? So this is where this comes from. This is why it is in the CIA.gov library. Newsflash, this is a game. This absolutely is a game that people will play. And sometimes I think knowingly trying to trick you. Sometimes I think people are just ignorant, but sometimes people I think are knowingly trying to trick you by saying, look, this book is in the CIA.gov library. Therefore, it's a CIA document or therefore they know the real truth about this thing when it is nothing of the sort. The CIA library includes all sorts of stuff like the Abbottabad compound materials, Osama bin Laden's bookshelf, etc. Um, and all sorts of other things that they have collected in the, in the course of all sorts of investigations into all manner of things. And it does not mean that it's a CIA document, and it does not mean the CIA believes it or is trying to, you know, here's the real truth, guys. Um, you, you, I'm sure you've seen about the Adam and Eve story and how the CIA, it's on the CIA library, man, and it tells the real truth about the pole shift or whatever is coming. The, uh, no, no, the CIA has a big material, material archive of all sorts of stuff that they have collected that absolutely is not CIA endorsed, but maybe they like the idea that people play on that. See, the CIA knows the truth about this. Anyway, so that's one way that sourcing can be a kind of game that can be used to trick people. Oh, it's coming from the CIA. This is a CIA document, guys. Um, I'm not even saying that's particularly what's happening in this case. I, as I say, I think this is more like, hey, it's an admission against interest. Even the CIA admits that the Rothschilds created the Fed. And as I say, there's so much more to say about that claim. <laughs> but anyway, you get the point that sourcing can be a type of game that is being played at times and can be used to trick as much as enlighten. So anyway, just keep that in mind. But let's... Let's start exploring this um, in a little bit more detail, because uh, this is a specifically a subject that came up recently um, on an interview that I did. So, for example, um, interview 1813, what just happened in Russia with Roloslavsky, and in which, uh, as I hope you've heard by now, I talked to uh, blogger Roloslavsky about his work on the Prigozhin mutiny and on the Russian not-war um, in, in general. And we talked, we had a discussion, and as usual, I, of course, I cited various articles that he had written and that we talked about in the course of this conversation, and then several, several articles that I specifically quoted headlines or talked specifically about certain things that were being reported. So, of course, as usual, as I always do, when I talk about a specific article, I'm going to link you to that specific article, right? So, pretty, pretty non-controversial, Except, of course, this is a controversial topic in conspiracy spaces, so it became controversial. So, for example, we get uh, uh, various comments, like, for example, Dregai, who says that this report is reminiscent of James's reports, in quotation marks, because they're not real reports, with Riley Wagaman quote-unquote show notes, because they're not real show notes, primarily links to the interviewee's own writings, which lack references, mixed with Western publications. Most of Roloslavsky's statements seem to be hearsay, with none of the Corbett Report's typical reference links to sources. The one Moscow Times is created slash run by Dutch Dirk Sauer, Wikipedia link, link to Dirk Sauer, seems qu unquestionable source, in my opinion. 
Braggit, yes, as is Wikipedia, <laughs> after linking to Wikipedia. But yeah, Wikipedia is unreliable. But anyway, rely on Wikipedia to see why this is un- <laughs> I like how even this commenter caught himself in the performative contradiction there. Anyway, no mention of other independent on-the-ground journalists in Donbass and Russia. None. In short, Corbett report reports, in quotation marks, because they're not real reports, on Russia are lacking incredible, quote, show notes, in quotation marks, because they're not real show notes. And how does Rolo Slavsky know all the assertions he claims? In war, the first casualty is truth. Proper credit unknown. Okay, um, an interesting series of assertions here. So let's take them one by one. So um, again, okay, so it's just rhetorical slander. This isn't a report like my reports with Riley Wagman aren't reports. Anyway, uh, show notes primarily linked to the interviewee's own writings, which lack references mixed with Western publications. Well, yeah, as I say, when I'm talking to an interview guest about their particular articles, and we talk about a particular article, and we have a discussion around what they have written in a particular article, that's what the show notes are for, for me to link you to their articles. <laughs> so, uh, again, this is controversial because, oh my God, it's Rolo Slavsky. But uh, take, for example, my recent conversation with Jakob Nordengard. And what do you find in that conversation where we were talking about his work on the UN apex body and all of that? Well, yeah, I specifically cite the articles that he wrote about that t- topic that we talk about in that particular um, interview. And the UN reports that we're talking about, I also link to those, which is, that's the entirety of the show notes, his articles and the UN reports, because what else am I going to link? Am I going to start linking to people who who think that the UN is a great place? Because it has to be balanced, so you should link to it in the show notes, even though you don't talk about that in that particular interview. No, as always, as I always do, I if we're talking about specific articles or videos or what have you that the guest has produced... I will link to those. If we talk about other specific reports or things that uh, of general relevance, they will be in the show notes as well, if we talk about them specifically, exactly as I do in this interview with Rolo Slavsky. So, for example, we talk about various of his articles, which also, it turns out, are just hearsay with none of the Corbett Report's typical reference links to sources. Again, okay, so these are just hearsay, right? So, for example, we talk about um, various... Um, various articles that, that Rolo had written on this subject in the past. For example, Wagner's Prigozhin issues most dire warning yet ahead of Ukrainian counterattack. So if you go and click on that link, you will find that as we were talking about in the interview, um, Rolo did break down a rather lengthy hour and a half interview that Prigozhin had given earlier this year that made a number of startling claims. And and Rolo basically broke it down into bullet points. So Prigozhin claimed this, Prigozhin said this, Prigozhin went on to make this point, Prigozhin made that point. And there's a lot of points because it was an hour and a half conversation. Here are the bullet points. But Rolo's just making this up off the top of his head, right? He doesn't cite any source. Oh, wait, he does cite sources. You can watch the entire thing in Russian here. And when you click on that particular link, you're going to get the actual Интервью. Украинская армия готова к контрнаступлению. Indeed. So if you speak Russian, you can go and watch this hour and a half long interview and you can verify for yourself if all of these points are true or if Rolo's just totally making it up. Totally. You can go check it because the source is there. So anyway, I think there's a number of false claims that are being made here. But uh, this one is particularly interesting. So um, he cites the one Moscow Times is created run by... Dirk Schauer. Okay, so that's an interesting point. Okay, so for example, again, in this list, um, there are a number of things, and as I say, almost all of them are specific articles that I had cited and 
talked about specifically in the course of this interview. So as usual, I'm citing my sources. Um, this one at the bottom, uh, at, towards the very end, Rolo uh, mentions the Medvedchuk um, swap that took place, the prisoner swap for Azov prisoners for this Russian oligarch, the swap that took place last September. And so as just as a way of documenting that that took place, that that prisoner swap took place, I, of course, do link to the Moscow Times article uh, that documents it. Moscow's Azov Medvedchuk swap inflames Russian hardliners. And it talks about the fact that there, the fact, the documentable, verifiable fact that there was an exchange of 215 high-profile Ukrainian prisoners of war for 50, 55 captured Russian soldiers and Kremlin ally Viktor Medvedchuk, which sparked outrage Thursday among Russian hardliners and far-right figures. Okay, Moscow Times, you're right. Yeah, Dirk Sawyer and it's the Moscow Times. Yeah, it's uh, not, uh, this isn't a source that we are trusting about their interpretation of events. But the question here is the documentation of the claim that there was a prisoner swap, that there was a prisoner swap that took place. And Russia gave up hundreds of Azov battalion members, etc., for this Russian oligarch. Did that really happen? Well, okay, so the Moscow Times says it happened, and there's the link. But let's not take their word for it. Okay, so let's not take their word for it. Is the claim that is being made here the fact that this Moscow Times, the Moscow Times is unreliable, therefore this prisoner swap didn't happen? Because then you're going to have to, you're going to have to provide some more information that that prisoner swap didn't happen. Uh, I could cite dozens and dozens and dozens of sources that would verify this information. For example, we could turn, how about to antiwar.com? Was that a good enough source? Dave DeCamp? I cite antiwar a lot because it's, it really is some of the most straightforward just just the facts sort of reporting. There's no flowery sort of expansion in these articles, and it's generally just the facts. But anyway, yeah, September 2022, Russia-Ukraine carry out major prisoner swap brokered by Turkey and Saudi Arabia. Russia and Ukraine carried out a major prisoner swap this week involving nearly 300 people that was brokered by Saudi Arabia and Turkey. Ukraine said Wednesday that it freed 215 people from Russia. 215 people from Russia. Where did I see that zany? Oh, yeah, in the lying Moscow Times. Yeah, okay. And then uh, including commanders of the Nazi Azov Battalion, yep, who surrendered to Russian forces after the Battle of Mariupol. Uh, among the Mariupol, um, among the 215 people were 10 foreign nationals, including five British and two Americans. In exchange, Ukraine released 55 Russians and pro-Russian Ukrainians, including Viktor Medvedchuk, a Ukrainian politician who has ties to Russian President Vladimir Putin, but previously led Ukraine's largest opposition party in Parliament, Opposition Platform for Life. Okay, and more information there from antiwar.com? Am I allowed to cite that source? Does that mean that the Medvedchuk prisoner swap did happen? Can we now establish that? Oh, no, not yet. Okay, well, how about a Russian source? If you want a Russian source, I'll include it. And if you speak Russian, you can go read it for yourself, or you can find a way to translate it online. But here's a Russian source talking about this in great detail and citing the fact that, yes, there was a prisoner swap that took place. Or how about even more Russian uh, how, how can you get more Russian than TASS, the Russian news agency, right? Official Kremlin-approved propaganda straight from the horse's mouth. And oops, what's this? Oh, just the past couple of days. Yeah, you better believe there's been more confirmation of the Medvedchuk story in case you needed it. It's already been established. But oh, there's there's been an update to that story in case you missed it. Zelensky says he returns to Ukraine from Turkey with Azov nationalist battalion commanders because this Russian war is... I'm sorry, not war, is totally about getting Azov, guys. That's what it's about. 
Anyway, have all these Azov prisoners back. We just want our oligarch. But anyway, uh, yeah, now Zelensky is coming back to the Ukraine together with five commanders, commanders of the Azov Nationalist Battalion, banned and designated as a terrorist organization in Russia, Russia who had been in Turkey. And it goes on to talk about um, this embarrassment, um, shall we say, that is now being talked about in TASS. And oh yeah, more confirmation. Yes, after a prisoner swap between Russia and Ukraine, uh, 215 people, etc., etc. So uh, what exactly are you squabbling about with regards to this citing of this particular source? Okay, so I should have cited anti-war or Russian material or maybe TASS. Anyway, the prisoner swap did happen. And yes, that's not, that's not being debated. So again, what is the, what is the point of questioning that source in that case? In that case, the what's your source, bro, is being weaponized. And I am sure that people have encountered this online where when someone is being cornered into a, a corner by reality and facts, you just bring out the handy, what's your source on that? sort of uh, rhetorical flourish, and voila, you get out of it. <laughs> because, oh my god, Moscow Times, well that means the Medvedchuk's prisoner swap didn't happen. <laughs> Wait, here's another source, and another source, and here's the Russian official propaganda news agency source. Well, is that good enough? <laughs> what, what is it you're questioning? But by that point, everyone's moved on, and the conversation has moved on, and the doubt has been sown. Anyway, there's, if you want more on this particular latest thing and how the Xeonon 5D chessers are coping with it. <laughs> you can check out uh, Are You a Loved One Recovering from Xeonon Addiction? Where he, he talks about, oh, that 5D chess master Putin has been tricked again, gosh darn it, by the Turks. Can you believe they let those Azov guys go? <laughs> and uh, he does make the point that, uh, yeah, releasing the Azov commanders wasn't Moscow getting tricked by their esteemed NATO partners, but a clever 5D Xeonon plan. Few understand this. Thanks for sharing. <laughs> Which is what this boils down to. But yes, uh, yeah, no, they, 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 they released the prisoners from Donbass where the death penalty exists so that they can now get Turkey to release these guys back to Ukraine so they can now be killed. <laughs> And it, that was the plan all along. Genius, I tell you, genius. <laughs> anyway, the Xeonon stuff is actually kind of funny when you really start interrogating it. But it does, of course, raise the question then. Okay, no mention of other independent journalists. Why aren't you randomly citing other people in your interview with this person, which you, by the way, never do in any of your other interviews, but you should do in this one because I disagree with the guest. Well, okay, what, what sources should I be citing with regards to this particular interview. Um, maybe uh, uh, Seymour Hirsch has been getting a lot of traction lately with his Trust Me Bro reporting. Um, his, for example, Nord Stream reporting. Trust me, bro, I've got the secret intel source that tells me it was it was an American operation to blow it up. I don't need Seymour Hirsch or his secret sources, Trust Me Bro, to tell me things like that. And I don't need him to tell me about Prigozhin's folly. But let's see. I mean, this was getting a lot of traction in a lot of the Xenon-type friendly places that I see online. Here's Mint Press News touting Seymour Hersh's groundbreaking substack work on the Prigozhin mutiny and what really happened. And well, you, you read through and it's a really interesting and thought-provoking article. But well, what is Hersh's source on this information? So below is a look at what is really going on that was provided to me by a knowledgeable source in the American intelligence community. And literally the rest of the article is just him quoting this anonymous American intelligence source. It's literally one source article that no one, I, I have not seen a single person question this article or question its veracity. They, I've seen people actually citing this 
anonymous American intelligence official, trust, trust Hirsch, bro, um, uh, uh, taking, taking his take at face value, again, it seems really odd, except for the fact that people want to believe it. So when people want to believe something, of course, they're not going to question the source. They're not going to look at it deeply. When people don't want to believe something, they're going to question the source, even when it doesn't make sense to question the source. The Moscow Times, they're a propaganda rag. Therefore, the Medvedchuk swap didn't happen. Well, actually, it did happen. So what, what exactly are you questioning? So you see how this can be weaponized, how it can be gamed, how we can cite the CIA, that CIA agent, you used this Mullins and his Secrets of the Federal Reserve book, I tell you. Or, oh, you can't believe the Moscow Times and they're reporting on objectively identifiable facts <laughs> on the ground. So anyway, it's a game. It, there is a game aspect to this and it can be weaponized like anything else. What's your source on that? And... Depending on your answer, the, the person will find a way to disbelieve what they don't want to believe. Um, so there's a lot to consider with regards to this. And that's why, as usual, as always, as with, I think, everything that I cover on Solutions Watch, and as I've stated since the beginning, I don't think there is the single silver bullet solution. Just cite your source and everything will be okay forever. Well, what source do you cite and how and in what way and in what context? And what does that particular source that you're citing, what does that imply about the bigger argument, etc.? There's, I mean, again, it can be weaponized and gamed like anything else, and it can be used um, as a way to distract from online discussion rather than forwarding it. And um, again, I'm sure we've all seen how discussions can get derailed by people um, making it into the source game. Well, I don't like that source that you cited. Well, here's another one. Do you like that one? Um, anyway, there's so much to think about with regards to this. But I just want to put this on the table of a way that we can start to improve, not perfect, but improve the types of conversations that go on online by being aware of the need for information to be independently verifiable, to at least be... Uh, I won't say that you need, because of course there are all sorts of things that we cannot independently verify. There's not going to be a ground rock source that you can provide for you know, the New World Order is a big giant plan to cull the human population and keep us controlled for all time. I mean, there's a million different things in there that you would have to interrogate individually, and all of these things can be cited individually, but does it add up to that whole picture, and how much is speculation, and how much is... I mean, there's there's uh, there's never going to be that bound bedrock source that will provide all the information for everything. But at any rate, the more that we engage in this task of constructing information from sources, I think the better off we will be. And... I'd like to think that the Corbett Report is contributory to the type of discourse that I'd like to see online with regards to having sources and being able to back up what you're saying. Having said that, I have been, shall we say, disappointed over the years to receive, uh, uh, to receive emails from people about the latest documentary that's being passed around online. Oh my God, you got to see this, James. It's so great. And I'll go and look at it. And it's, it's claim after claim after claim after claim after claim after claim that is essentially, trust me, bro, no citation needed, no citation provided. It's quite disheartening to see that, that people who presumably are interested in the Corbett Report because they they like this type of work and the way that I do it, but will also gravitate towards things that are completely sourceless and uh, go into the trust me, bro, journalism mold. Anyway, that's not what I do. I do open source journalism. And it is there on CorbettReport.com for your free perusal and hopefully edification. And as always, I don't know everything. I'm not right about everything. 
but I'm doing my level best to at least put the information out there the best way that I can, and here's where I get my information. This is the way I put this information together, and I have faith in the intelligence of the people in this audience to be able to think for themselves, put the information together for themselves in whatever way they wish, search more on whatever thing they think is most important, um, disagree with me, of course, come to your own conclusions. But at the very least, let's have a more informed and informative discussion with actual evidence to back it up. But having said that, I think that will do it for today's edition of Solutions Watch. I thank you for investing your time in this uh, this exploration today, and I'm very much looking forward to talking to you again in the future. I'm James Corbett of CorbettReport.com.